In the last reflection, we touched on Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, which says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. We saw how Paul told his readers that no good thing dwelt in his flesh. We examined the, the words of Jeremiah about the deceitfulness and sickness of the human heart. And because of this, God commands us not to rely upon our own understanding. He reminds us that there's a way that seems right to us, but that way leads to destruction. Now, the idea is quite simple. Don't trust your own heart with its reasoning, because it's sick and it's deceitful. Instead, bring the Lord into your decisions. Acknowledge Him and seek His purpose. Let the Lord lead you into what's right. Now, while that's easy enough to understand, it goes against our human culture and nature. In the culture that I grew up up in, we we raised our children to become independent. In fact, we we measure maturity of our children by how independent independent they are. If a child grows up and is unable to make their own decisions, we we feel like we failed them as parents. If If our children continue to depend on us for everything, we feel like we've not done our job in raising them. The goal of parenting in in this culture is is to raise children who are able to make their own decisions and live independent of us. Now, the question we need to ask ourselves here is this. Is this how God parents his children? Is God looking for a people or children who are no longer dependent on him? And when the writer to Proverbs of Proverbs 3 and verse 5 tells us not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge God in all our ways, how does that concept fit into our understanding of maturity as self-sufficiency and independence? Maturity in the Bible is, is very different. The mature Christian is not one who is independent of God but one who is very dependent. God's not looking for people who who will do what's right in their own eyes, but those who will, in fact, die to their passions and their own understanding to do what's right in His. Now, that's a very difficult concept for us to grasp even as believers because it seems to run contrary to everything we understand rationally. But one day, Jesus was asked about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to his response. Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4, Jesus says this, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Greek word Jesus used here for child refers to an infant or or to a baby. And the greatest in heaven, according to Jesus, is like an infant child. They're totally dependent on the Father for all things. That concept of maturity is radical and runs contrary to everything our society tells us and everything our human reason tells us. 
our human understanding of maturity and, and independence stands in the way. If we want to know God's true heart for us, however, we need to realize that true Christian maturity will lead us to greater dependence upon God. Learning dependence doesn't come easy for us. It demands humbling ourselves and confessing that there's nothing good in our flesh. In Exodus 17, we have the story of the people of Israel traveling through the wilderness. And at one point, they were in desperate need of water and complained to Moses about that. And Moses, of course, had no way of getting water in the desert for this angry people. But, but God proposed the solution. And he told Moses to go to a certain rock and to strike it with his rod. And, and when Moses obeyed, water comes out of the rock enough for the nation's need. God miraculously provided for his people that day. And all Moses had to do was to listen to him and to obey. Now, later in Numbers 20, we read that a similar situation arose. And the people of God were again without water and again complained to Moses. And this time, God tells Moses to go to a rock and to speak to it so that water would come out for the people. But instead of speaking to the rock, Moses takes his rod and strikes it. Now, that act of disobedience cost him the promised land. Because, of he, because he disobeyed God in this matter, God refused to allow Moses the privilege of entering the land of Canaan with his people. What happened? Let me say this. Experience can be a great hindrance to hearing God and walking in obedience. As I look at this story, I see a man with experience. He was a man who had done this before. He had brought water out of a rock and he knew what to do. Maybe because he had done it before, Moses didn't listen very carefully. But God didn't want him to bring water from the rock in the same way. He wanted him to speak to the rock this time, not strike it. But Moses went up to that rock and he did the same thing he did the first time. And you know what happened? Water came out of the rock. To all outward appearances, it worked. And the blessing of God flows despite Moses' disobedience. But Moses would pay a steep cost, forfeiting the right to step foot into the promised land and the anger of the Lord upon him. God accuses Moses of not honoring him before the people. Moses trusted his wisdom and experience and did not acknowledge God in the situation. He trusted his experience more than he trusted the leading of God. And I'm sure Moses is not the only one to fall into that error. All too many Christian leaders have fallen flat on their back because they have trusted their experience and human wisdom and not sought the Lord and his purpose in all things. This was not the first time Moses had to learn this lesson. 
He grew up in the home of Egyptian royalty, living the good life. He, he knew their language and cultures if it were his own, for he, he was only a baby when he was rescued from Israel. This was the culture and language he grew up with as a child. One day, however, the Lord put it in his heart to rescue the Israelites from their cruel slavery. And the opportunity came when Moses saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave, and, and he intervened and defended the Israelite slave by killing the Egyptian. And Acts chapter 7 and verse 25 tells us what Moses was thinking at the time when it says this, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses believed that the Israelites would understand that God had called him to rescue them from Egypt as their deliverer. And from a human perspective, he had all the qualifications, influence as a member of the royal family, wealth and culture language, and the call of God on his life. The problem was that the Israelites did not accept him. And when Pharaoh got word that Moses, of what Moses had done, he was forced to leave e Egypt helpless and humiliated. And God took Moses and put him in the wilderness and left him there for 40 years. And Moses' greatest experience there in the wilderness was to care for, for sheep, and during that time, he, he lost his fluency in the Egyptian language. His influence was no longer what it used to be. He was 40 years older. His confidence in his abilities was not what it was. And, and he had settled into a new life and lost the passion of his youth. The greatest obstacle for Moses at the age of 40 was his qualifications and his pride in those qualifications. Now, his resume would have appealed to any earthly employee who was seeking a deliverer of Egyptian slaves. But in God's mind, these things only got in the way. God wasn't looking for someone who had all these earthly qualifications. Those qualifications meant nothing to God. He was looking for someone who would depend on him and obey his leading. He was looking for a little child, totally dependent. It doesn't matter how many de degrees you have behind your name. If you are not dependent on God, you're not the person he's looking for. You can put all the titles you want in front of your name, but they will mean nothing if you're not able to hear from God and follow His leading. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 3 to 5. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The great apostle Paul went to Corinth shaking in his boots. And as educated as he was, he determined not to minister with words of wisdom, but with demonstrations of power and the Spirit. How often we have reduced the message of the gospel to logical persuasion. But it's not logic that, that will save a soul. Only Jesus can do that. 
I would dare to say that we're all tempted to, to trust our own wisdom and ability more than the power of God. But the secret to Paul's success is that he did not trust in his careful reasoning and human wisdom. He knew that unless the Spirit of God worked through him, there was no possibility of success. His reliance was on God, not on himself, his experience, his qualifications, or his persuasive powers. When challenged by the people of his day, the Lord Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 37 to 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Notice that Jesus told those who listened to him that they were to only believe him if he was doing the Father's works. He was able to do the Father's works, of course, because the Father was in him and the Father was working through him. Jesus worked and ministered in the power and in the enabling of the Father. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Son, says Jesus, can do nothing of his own accord. He only does what he sees the Father doing. How many times have have we been in churches that have told God what they wanted him to do? Instead of watching the Father and standing with him in everything, we determine what we want him to do. But that's not how Jesus worked. He only did what the Father was doing. He chose not to do anything of his own accord, only what the Father was showing him. He lived a life of dependence and complete surrender to the purpose of the Father in all things. And that dependence extended not to just to what he did, but to the very words he spoke. In in John chapter 14 and verse 10, we read, Do you do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The words I say to you. I do not say in of my own authority, says Jesus. Jesus spoke the words that the Father gave him to speak. Now, listen to what Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit that that he would send to us in John chapter 16 and verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Even the Holy Spirit does not speak 
on his own authority. He only speaks what he hears from the Father and from the Son. The Lord Jesus does not work or speak independent of the Father. The Holy Spirit speaks only what he hears from the Father. God disciplined Moses for trusting more in his experience than in the leading and command of God. God bypassed Moses' qualifications and human abilities when he chose him to deliver the people of Israel from bondage. The Apostle Paul chose not to rely on his education and superior human intellect in the preaching of the gospel. Jesus told us that he did not, he could do nothing of his own accord, but only what he saw the Father doing. Jesus did not speak on his own authority, nor does the Holy Spirit act or speak on his own authority. And if this is how the Lord Jesus and his Spirit and the saints of all ministered, how much more do we need to follow in their footsteps in our lives And in our ministries, we dare not rely on our wisdom, our qualifications, and our experience. All of these are faulty and can be deceptive. There's only one source we can rely on for truth, and that's the Lord God himself and his word and his leading. Now, this calls for a people who will learn that maturity demands greater dependence This requires a people who will make it their commitment not to lean on their own understanding. God calls us to acknowledge Him in all things, and that requires that I surrender all my ideas to Him. This places each and every one of us at the same level. All of us have the same source of strength and wisdom. Walking in the Spirit requires a submission to the heart of the Father in all things. It requires that we commit ourselves not to trust in our own wisdom and understanding. And like Christ, not to speak or do anything of our own accord. In all our ways, we seek Him, His purpose, and commit ourselves to walk in absolute obedience. This seeking God is not just in how we minister, but also in how we live and who we are. We allow God's Spirit to examine our lives in every aspect and submit to what He wants to do in us. This may mean allowing Him to change who we are, to reshape our habits, to reshape our responses. It may mean confessing that that we've been content to live without victory in certain parts of our life, but ultimately, walking with the Spirit means surrendering everything to Him as he leads us and shapes us into the image of Christ and uses us for his purpose, maturity brings us to a place of absolute dependence upon God so that his power is manifested through us, so that his wisdom becomes evident in how we walk and how we live and that in every aspect of our life, we surrender to Him and we seek Him 
and he becomes Lord of our ministries, of our lives, of every aspect of who we are.